Welcome to One of Us is Lying, the podcast where, well, one of us is lying. We'll be telling either historical stories, ridiculous conspiracy theories, or some deeply confusing combination of both each week. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, take two, guys. My laptop is dying on me, and it shut down halfway through our previous intro. It is what it is. Um, we are currently quarantined in separate houses and thus unable to hang out because COVID-19. Yeah, I am in the Bay Area. Curdy is in Fresno. By the way, hi guys. Once again, my name is Curdy, oh, and that's my co-host Jada. Hi. Hello. Hi. Sorry. I it's don't fine. think we you need to know actually who remember I am. this time. <laughs> It's okay. It happens. You don't like introductions. I, d- I just really, I don't know why. I it just to anybody. Maybe it's because I'm just so socially awkward that when I walk into a room, I don't <laughs> need to know your name. Like if I don't get Is it the first time, I'm kind of you like, just don't like us. I'm just gonna keep rolling with it. I don't want to ask you. I don't want to engage at this point. So we're just gonna move on. And this is a really funny trait for someone who's very good at remembering names. Am I? That's false. That is patently uh, You've false. remembered all of my friends' names. I barely remember all of my friends' names. Still, I, I refuse to believe that's true. I forget names all the fucking time. You forget I don't names, names once you have an established relationship with somebody. That's true. Yeah. No, I, I'm really bad at names, honestly. You shocked me. One, you have a unique name. And two, your friends all have very generic names. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Greg. That is one syllable. Fun fact, that's who I was thinking of, <laughs> whose name you remembered. Yeah, Greg. Tristan. That's it. <laughs> Those are my two friends, guys. <laughs> um, it's fine. <laughs> Shout out to Greg and Tristan, who didn't ask to be part of this, but they're getting called out for generic it's, names. It's genuinely all I can remember. It's fine. And you know most, and you also have physically met and like spent time with most of my friends from college because we went to college together. So like, it's fine. That's true, although we ran in very different circles. Shocking. And by that, I mean, you had a circle, (laughs) and I did not want to engage with said circle. (laughs) I had circles, and you were your own circle. I was. Adam was included. uh, Yeah, and so was Lily. (laughs) Yeah, no, Lily was definitely a part of the sorority circle. I just happened to get lucky. Uh, we, fun fact guys L- lily is my little yeah. fun fact um jada and i despite being in the same sorority for three years didn't actually speak to each other until we could t- took a class together um so actually that's a lie the first time i spoke to jada was when i was going through like sorority recruitment or rush or whatever you want to call it and we were at the sorority house and we had to do arts and crafts and jada is exceptionally crafty i cannot do anything and we were making origami uh, origami swans I cannot fold. I cannot work with straight lines. I was convinced she hated me simply because of my in, like inability to make crafts. Honestly, I don't remember shit about that day. I do remember learning to do... I can't do a crane anymore, by the way, but I've made so many. <laughs> like, like, I've made... Like, literally, it was like two days straight of folding fucking cranes. Yeah, there was a lot of cranes. Um, I think I folded my paper twice and then just emotionally, like, cried a little bit because I'm like, she's able to do this. She's doing this while making eye contact with me. She probably hates me. Come to find out that is actually just Jada's <laughs> vague personality and nothing has changed. But except for the fact That's that I true. know that she likes me now. 
It's fair. I'm very apathetic in almost all things. <laughs> and yet here we are making a podcast. It's fine. My really one truth trait is that when I meet you, if I am not drunk or like internally pleased, I will just stare because yeah, I, that's what my face does. <laughs> I actually think that's exactly how us talking went. I think you just kind of looked at me like you definitely asked like a couple questions, but it was pretty much just staring. And I'm like, oh, no, I probably wasn't. Rush is hell. It's awful. <laughs> I probably wasn't feeling well. I also think the year that I rushed you, um, I don't know if this tracks. I think it tracks, but I think that's the year that Benji cheated on me. It like, would have been your sophomore year. Recruitment. Going into your sophomore yeah. year. Oof. Unlocking Jada's it was trauma. Fucking rough. Wait, didn't he cheat mm-hmm. on you with Oh yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He did. Mm-hmm. Not, a good, not a good time. No. Anyway, how was your week? Since we just spoke about so much sorority stuff that nobody cares about. It's true. It's totally true. Um, my week was good. Uh, it's been at home. It's it's been weird. So Adam, my boyfriend, he is technically non-essential, but they're treating him like an essential employee. So he goes to work every day, but I spend most of my day at with home. the cat. <laughs> Just been really sad, but um, I'm doing all of my training via Skype, via Zoom. And it's been nice because I that like literally feels like we- a week after I signed a document saying, hey, I'm leaving on April 10th, the world shut down. Yeah. And I was sequestered to my home. So the nice thing about this is no one can watch me not give a shit. We love that. Love to hear that. My week, I guess I'll start with my month slash my day slash my week. Um, the big new development is I've picked up cycling as a hobby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting more obnoxious. I'm so proud. The more I do it's things. such a white thing to do. I'm sorry, but it's such a white thing to do. <laughs> you know, the cycling community acknowledges that. And I've had friends make jokes about that because apparently there was mm-hmm. a bike company that they liked that tried to do what someone described as a college textbook style ad. Oof. Mm-hmm. And Oof. my friend just started cackling. He's like, I have never seen more than one not tall white male on a bike at any given time ever it's pretty funny (laughs) it's entirely accurate so jada were you lying last week was i lying last week no my story was entirely true so my story about how john lennon was neutralized all true uh let me pull up my sources so we can kind of go through them I didn't write them down. I don't know what I'm pulling up. No, I was going to say you explicitly said in the last episode that you didn't write down your sources. So like, I don't know what you're doing. But okay, so Jada's story was entirely true. I lied to myself. (laughs) Hi, guys. Mine was technically false. So Marilyn Monroe is dead. Um, That is true. The history that I gave is true. Thank you. Yeah, how she killed herself is true. Um, What is not true is the fact that the Kennedys had any involvement. That said, like, is the Red Diary missing? Yes. Is there realistic reason to believe that the Kennedys or someone in pol- like political power paid to have that removed from the LEPD? Oh, 100%. But what Marilyn Monroe's story really comes down to is a woman with a very long history of mental illness, physical illness, and a history of depression and suicidal tendencies. 
and a lot of the conspiracies about her death actually being a murder and an assassination come from a anti-communist angle, weirdly enough. So that's what I was lying about. Yeah. 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 Yours, yours, was, yours, yours had a lot of fun lies, though. Yeah. Because it was like Marilyn Monroe with yeah. John Kennedy and then Robert Kennedy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people involved. A lot of, a lot pe- of Kennedys involved. A lot of important people. But what is true is she did have an affair with JFK. The affair with Robert Kennedy is debated. Um, but the affair with JFK is well documented. And Jackie Kennedy is famous for quoting and telling JFK that she will divorce him and ruin his reputation if he does not stop sleeping with her. So. Excellent. Well, my story was based off of an NPR interview. Um let me pull it up because I do I think we should like kind of lean into the sources a little bit. Most of my stuff was from Wikipedia today. So my source is from the author Philip Norman, who wrote an auto I'm uh, sorry, a biography on John Lennon. The book is called The Life. Um, and it's actually a really interesting book, but it goes into what what happened like with the whole situation with the FBI and the deportation order and also the origins and who was involved. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting book if you want to check it out. And it's pretty comprehensive. Sick. Okay. I think I linked my sources last time, but a lot of the conspiracy. So totally did. Yeah. A lot of the conspiracy ones were from like Marilyn Monroe forums and like people that actively had websites dedicated to her. We will get better at this as soon as we start to establish what patterns we want. So yeah, it's one day we'll understand. Give us at how to break least this until out. episode five to ten. Somewhere in that area, we'll probably get it together a little more. I don't know where the fuck Adam went. And where's your cat? He like left. Just dipped. <laughs> got tired of our bullshit. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I think he was just like, I'm going to He has go. to draw a line somewhere. And, you know, I respect him drawing the line on the podcast. <laughs> it's totally fun. I already I read my story to him because I needed to practice. I love that you so. practiced. Um, pray for me. Pray for the listeners. Do we have listeners? So mine. Yeah, mine is uh, from Germany. Oh. So I was legitimately like, if I even try, I will fall on my face yeah the yeah the, one of the main words in my story we're gonna hear me pronounce it nine different ways it's okay it's better that way it's more honest more <laughs> genuine guys we're producing art doesn't have to be perfect it just has to i can't even finish that sentence avant-garde. it's avant-garde it's fine <laughs> it's, it's new age it's public education millennial art <laughs> all right curdy what is our podcast about cool have we talked for enough time for me to do a real intro now Yes. <laughs> okay, guys, this is the secondary transition into our podcast. Hi, we are One of Us is Lying, the podcast where we will tell you a weird historical story, a wild conspiracy theory, or some crazy combination of both. I'm just going to say what our topic is, which is biological warfare, guys. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. I Wait, I can I this. do my story okay. first? Because I'm so excited. 
Yes. I was actually going to ask you to do yes. first. So biological warfare is described as or the use of biological toxins or infectious agents such as bacteria, viruses, insects, or fungi with the intent to kill or incapacitate humans, animals, plants as an act of war. Biological weapons, often termed bioweapons, biological threat agents, or bioagents, are living organisms replicating entities, viruses, which are not universally considered alive. Entomological, aka insect warfare, is also a subtype of biological warfare, which is exactly what I'm going to talk about because entomological warfare seems like my own personal type of hell. Are you talking about, wait, are you talking about the big? Oh, I bring it up briefly. Okay. Is that your intent? I'm really excited. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. Okay. So aptly abbreviated EW, EW, entomological warfare (laughs) is a type of biological warfare that uses insects to interrupt supply chains or supply lines by damaging crops or direct harm to enemy combatant and civilian populations. There have been several programs which have attempted to institute this methodology. However, there has been limited application of entomological warfare against military or civilian targets. In the recent days, it hasn't been very successful with only a few notable cases in recent history, which is that I'm going to talk about. But EU has been used wild, widely in antiquity. And in order, like... Basically, it was in order to repel sieges or cause economic harms to states, so like plagues, locusts, yada, yada, yada. All that good shit. Research into EU was conducted during the Cold War, World War II, um, basically by the Soviet Union, United States, Germany, Canada, Japan. And there has also been suggestions that's been implemented by non-state actors as a form of bioterrorism. And now, it's important to note that because... Entomological warfare is a form of biological warfare under the Biological and Toxic Weapons Convention of 1972. Use of insects to administer agents or toxins for hostile purposes is deemed against international laws. That's super interesting. I did not read about that at all. Yeah. And so another fun fact about biological warfare is that it is incredibly illegal and it is classified uh, or in biological warfare is actually one of the first multilateral disarmament treaties banning the production of an entire category of weapons. Hmm. That's super interesting because I know I the only thing that I read about was from like 1912. Mm-mm. So yeah, biological warfare was brought up during the Geneva Convention, but was formally ratified and banned in 1972. And this is huge because, again, like I think there was only like three or four countries in the world that have not ratified this, and they are all considered third world mm-hmm. non-threatening countries. So it doesn't actually matter. That's super interesting. Yeah, and again, this is huge because it's an entire category of weapons, which also includes bugs. So insects can be used in entomological warfare to destroy crops, but they can also be used to deliver a biological agent, which is like to make that layman's terms. It's the plague with fleas or cholera with flies, which fun fact, I didn't know cholera was from flies. I don't know what cholera is. I kept reading it, but I did absolutely no research. Like love in the time of cholera. I know it kills a lot of people. Do I know the details? No, I kind of just assumed everybody else would. Um, It's an infectious. Yeah, right. Oh, ew. Basically, <laughs> basically causes dysentery. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, you're right. That is kind of yeah. gross. That's one of the, <laughs> this is probably the worst topic. I spent a lot of it just like with my hand across the screen because I didn't want to look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to avoid photos, but yeah. So cholera and flies. And so back to entomological warfare, there are three paths is what they call. 
Path one is infecting the insects with a pathogen and then dispersing them over a targeted area. The insects act as a vector and infects anyone it bites. That specific language, legal language, we'll get to it probably at the very end of my story. Path two is using them as a threat to agriculture. So it's basically like releasing a plague of lotus or anything that intends to damage or harm agriculture and food supply chains or even like cows or pigs or whatever. Like the bugs are released to harm your food chain. And then path three, which is a personal favorite because antiquity um, is to use uninfected bugs to directly attack the enemy. So like just fucking yeeting wasp nests at the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) But that was super interesting. This sounds like a personal fear of mine. Oh, it'd be awful. That's why it's fucking outlawed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't get outlawed for a really long time though. And I'm going to get into all of the awful cases. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it. So the earliest example so path three is in fact the earliest example of you um it's described by jeffrey lockhart who wrote an entire book on this topic called the six-legged soldier would recommend like go for it guys if you want to know more about this read it from an actual professor someone with actual degrees and knows what he's talking about and it he literally said that people used to chuck bees and bee and wasp nests at each other just like yeet just chuck that into the enemy (laughs) lines just like fuck them up so (laughs) go get (laughs) him yeah and i hate this i hate this like imagine just being a soldier in like the middle ages having just like a shield and a spear and hating life and someone just (laughs) throws a wasp nest like an angry wasp nest at you like what do you do like i just go home yeah Ooh, that sucks is it because people had like severe allergies? No, or just I think because, it was like, just it was like annoying. it hurt, and that would be a distracting, shitty thing to happen on a battlefield. It hurt. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't fucking want that. I could agree with that. Yeah. Um. So, fun fact: the most famous example of this is actually not bees and wasps, even though it's an early example. The most famous example is actually the Black Death, aka the plague, the bubonic plague. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The bubonic plague is originally from Asia, Asia Minor. They think it probably originated somewhere in China, but it is believed to be the most famous example. Oh, of- they would throw the bodies over. It's the bodies, and actually, they think that it was used by a European city um, called Kaffa in Crimea. They actually believe they used rats and fleas and actively used like flea-ridden bodies and rats as an active form of entomological warfare against their enemies. Um, And so a little bit about how effective this is as a form of warfare. The Black Death is considered the greatest pandemic in human history, killing between 75 and 2 million people. For reference, the coronavirus's death toll as of yesterday, which was the 26th or 7th, is just over 24,000. Another point of reference. March 27th. Yeah, March 27th. Um, Another point of reference is that there are only 327 million people in the U.S. The Black Death killed would have killed literally more than half of the U.S.'s population. Mm -hmm. And also keeping in mind the population back then was not. No, the Black Death killed roughly like 75 percent of Europe's entire population. And this was a form of entomological warfare. And that just kept spreading. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Another calmer example is actually that the Confederacy accused the Union of introducing Harlequin bugs into the South. 
Harlequin bugs are a major pest and they destroyed a lot of crops in the South. And while this was never proven, like, mm, you know, you know, it's probably, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably a solid guess. Mm-hmm. So more examples of the use of ew during World War II. This is when it becomes very, very, very popular. So the first calm example during World War II is France was believed to have introduced or wanted to introduce the Colorado potato beetle to the Germans as a way to damage their food sources. The Colorado potato beetle is exactly what it does. It's a pest for potatoes. Um, Okay. Clearly, France did not do this. Germany, fun fact, actually had the exact same idea to do this to France. Um, Germany during World War II was known to have used entomological warfare. They were known to have looked into the mass production and dispersion of Colorado beetles, potato beetles. And though there was never proof that Germany successfully did this, it was actually hysterical because Germany did at this time suffer a huge infestation of potato beetles. So... While it believed that that could have been an ally action, realistically, it was probably a result of German testing, and then they stopped testing it because they failed badly. That said, on the ally side, Canada took it in stride. Um, Taking the wartime approach during World War II of pursuing whatever America ignored, Canada focused heavily on entomological warfare, and they did this as a response to Japan's intention to use it. Canada studied biting fleas, flies, mosquito vectors, so carriers, and fun fact, actually most of their tests were conducted in the U.S., but Canada continued their research after the World War II. So there's actually like no real proof that Canada used entomological warfare, but there's a lot of proof that they studied it. Now, that's what a lot, that's what a lot of people did. Yeah. Like even after whatever treaty was signed, uh, Versailles. Mm -hmm. They still researched it. Like, they didn't deploy anything, as far as I know. The only people who deployed was Japan. Yeah, so that's actually right? about who we're, get, we're about to get into. So, Japan's use of entomological warfare is the largest proof and most recent use of it. And Japan did this against China during World War II. So... I'm about to get into a topic that I will inevitably cover in another podcast because holy shit, it's so cool. And this is going to be the longest part of my podcast probably. But Japan used Unit 731, also known as Detachment 731, the 731 Regiment, Manchu Detachment 731, the Kamo Detachment, the Ishii Unit, the Ishii Department, or the Ishii Company. And I want to say all their names because this is historically one of the most fucked up units in history. And I had never heard their name before. So let's just say all their names. So Unit 731 was a covert biological and chemical warfare unit that was deployed by the Imperial Japanese Army. They undertook, and I quote, lethal human experimentation during the Second Shino-Japanese War of World War II from 1937 to 1945. And they're responsible for some of the most notorious war crimes carried out by the Imperial by Imperial Japan. So yeah, my story is about. about <laughs> Wait, is it really? It's not about them specifically, but it is about like I do cover Unit Seven Thirty One, but I do specifically say I'm not going to go into it because it's so there's much, so much information. Yeah, about so it. I'm going to go into it partially, but I'm going to go into it pretty much explicitly with their use of entomological warfare because, as Jada said. I just want to read 15 books on them because what? Like, 
what? Yeah, it's insane. And again, I just had never heard about them until this day. So the parent program for Unit 731 and the entomological warfare was officially known as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of the Kwantung Army. And it was originally sent set up under the Kemp Kempe Thai Military Army. It was eventually taken over by General Shiro Ishii, hence, hence the name. And General Ishii was originally a combat medic. So, Unit 731, along with other units under the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department, were routinely testing on humans, who were internally referred to as logs. An estimate of the people killed by this unit ranges into and over half a million. And that's just from human testing. This was not a combat unit. And as much as I honestly just want to keep talking about them, I'm not going to. So narrowing it back down. So Unit 731 and its affiliated units, 1644 and 100, were involved in the research, development, and experimental deploitation of epidemic-creating biowarfare weapons against the Chinese population. And I want to clarify that it was both military and civilian, and they predominantly killed civilians. It's rough. It's really like I honest I had started going down 731 and I like had to pull out because it was just it was getting into things that I didn't really want to talk about and I was getting sucked in. Yeah, and that that's pretty much what it is. Like as I said their death count was around half a million. It's believed that their death count was 400,000 civilians. Mm-hmm. And again, these were just human tests and I know while everybody discusses Nazi testing how this was left out of history textbooks is shocking because their human testing was probably just as bad, if not worse. I would probably say it's worse. It's pretty atrocious. Yeah, because theirs was less done in the name of science and more just done under the guise of sadism. Yeah, honestly, like a lot of the thing that got me was a lot of things that they were testing for. There, there is no report. Like, there's no actual scientific Mm-mm. understanding based on what happened. It just seemed like a very vil- villainous thing to do. Yes. Yes. And that's, again, well, between Jaina and I, this will probably be a topic we bring up another time. But I'm going to circle mm-hmm. back to you. So, big basic things. So, plague-infected fleas bred in laboratories of Unit 731 and 1644 were spread by low-flying airplanes onto Chinese city, including Ningbo and Changde. And again, please, I'm just going to apologize now for my pronunciations. I am doing my best, but I know I'm bad at it. The military aerial spraying killed tens of thousands of people with the bubonic plague. This was the 1940s, guys. Japanese researchers also performed tests on prisoners with the bubonic plague, cholera, smallpox, smallpox, and botulism. Which, fun fact, I was originally going to use botulism as my biological warfare, but then bugs. And so this led this research and this study led to the development of the defoliation bacilia bombs. And this bomb was used explicitly to spread the bubonic plague across China. Some of these bombs were designed with porcelain shells. And the idea of a porcelain shell was proposed explicitly by General Ishii as a way to do more damage. Plague fleas, infected clothing, and infected supplies encased in bombs were dropped all over China and were believed to have killed 400,000 civilians. Yikes. Fun fact, none of these attacks were addressed by the Allied powers at all until Franklin D. Roosevelt issued a public warning in 1943 condemning the attacks. And again, this is 
three years after half a million people have been killed by this. Um, and it's actually really interesting that Franklin D. Roosevelt brought this up because Japan was actually planning during the final months of World War II to use a biological weapon against San Diego. Um, and it was mm-hmm. set to happen September 22nd, 1945, but Japan surrendered five weeks prior. And it was believed that they were going to use those bombs. But yeah, so basically it took a while to bring this up and it's potentially good that they did, but also potentially the reason that Japan started planning attacks. Also interesting that they were planning San Diego, which I guess is a very, very large naval base, but still. Anyway, continuing. Unit 731 was not charged with any war crimes. They were granted immunity for providing their research to America, but not any other wartime allies. The U.S. believed that this information to be useful and did not want the Soviet Union to get their hands on it. That said, fun fact, the Soviets actually came in clutch here and did their own investigation, and those caught were persecuted in the Kaboskvits, I didn't say that right, war crime trials. So while the, the Unit 731 was never formally charged by the Allies in America for war crimes, they were charged by the Soviets. And again, as I said, this unit is single-handedly responsible for the worst war crimes in imperiled the imperial army's history and that says a lot that says a lot transitioning perfectly the soviet union was the next to attempt entomological warfare during the cold war originally they were focusing on the use of bugs for anti-crop and anti-animal purposes and then the soviets soviets started focusing on using insects to transmit animal pathogens such as foot and mouth disease through ticks and using avian ticks to spread Ideas that I could not pronounce. It was in pure Latin to chickens, but ideally it was supposed to kill the chickens. Oh, I love chickens. But it's a great way to fuck up a food supply chain. They claimed to have developed an automated mass, mass insect breeding facility, which is, once again, I cannot picture a worse personal hell for myself than a mass insect breeding facility. Yeah, it doesn't sound pleasant. No. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And we're talking like millions yeah. of bugs a month. Ick. Yeah. 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 So not to be outdone, let's talk about the U.S., who left this all to Canada during World War II, but seriously researched it during the Cold War. The U.S. developed plans for entomological entomological warfare facility designed to produce 100 million yellow fever infected mosquitoes per month. Yeah, mosquitoes are fucking gross. I hate mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're also one of the biggest killers in the world. So... A U.S. Army report titled Entomological Warfare, Target Analysts, that, that's literally what it's titled. We love that. We love it that it's to the point. List vulnerable sites within the Soviet Union that the U.S. could attack. To make it worse, the U.S. actually dropped uninfected mosquitoes into U.S. cities as a way to measure their fighting capacities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're going to get into those. And I'm mostly doing it because I think their operation names are hysterical. Wait, what's your story? <laughs> it's literally just is this your story? entomological warfare. Yeah, as a whole. Oh, just like as a whole? As a whole. I did not get that. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. I've been waiting for you to break so I could use the restroom. No, I've got like a page left though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. No, well, I, I, keep it going. <laughs> I couldn't narrow this down enough because I really just wanted to talk about the use of bugs as a form of warfare as a whole. Because okay. what? That's fair. It's super interesting. So... Back to the back to the U.S. United States use of entomological warfare. 
During the 1950s, the U.S. conducted field tests under the operation name Big Itch, where they tested entomological warfare. These tests were designed to determine coverage patterns and survivability of the tropical rat flea um, as a use of bioweaponry as a disease vector. Basically, the f- they wanted to see if they could drop fleas out of a bomb and have the fleas survive. So... They fleas they used in trial were not affected or infected with anything, but they were literally dropped from airplanes from cluster bombs. Like they just mm. dropped bombs of fleas. Just to try. Literally it. just to try it. <laughs> in the US. Mm-hmm. The two types. Oh. Yeah. Military engagements really just didn't for some reason, and I'm really good, it's one of the most interesting things about being alive is that today is better than yesterday by all standards. All standards. And I fucking hate that. Mm-hmm. Like I- <laughs> We are living in a better part of history, and that is terrifying to think about most of the time. That's awful. It's awful that today is better than they were dropping fucking flea bombs. And mosquito bombs. We get like, into those also. Okay. Mm-hmm. Still awful. Mm-hmm. Still terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was two types of bombs, and one bomb could hold a hundred thousand fleas, and another bomb could hold two hundred thousand fleas. Um. So the E twenty threes were the larger bomb, and fun fact, they stopped testing these because the bomb malfunctioned during a testing, and the fleas were released inside of the airplane, and they bit the pilot, <laughs> the bombardier, and the observer, which was the entire crew. Uh-huh. No. So that ended. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I know. So that ended the big itch for large testing. Um, but the results of the big itch is that it's considered a successful military operation. Fleas can survive being dropped out of literal bombs from airplanes. And that said, they found out that for some reason these fleas would only stay active for 24 hours. Like they'd just be like, "All right, I'm out." They just fucking like, die. Oh. They could survive the bomb, but I guess the sh- could it, could it be the bomb trauma? That can- <laughs> I don't know, but it was a 24-hour period where they could successfully bite and infect people. And again, just imagine the trauma of the pilot, the bombardier, which is the funniest name ever, and an observer with 200,000 fleas. Oh, that's gross. Oh, that's so gross. How do you not crash the airplane? How do you not crash the airplane? It's like if you get a bee in the car. Like, what do you do? Swerve? Hope? I don't know. <laughs> uh, nope. Okay, so the next operation hosted by the U.S. to test entomological warfare was Operation Big Buzz. Again, just all of the operation names by the military bring me some form of joy, just name-wise, because what? They're fu- Dude, I like when we originally were just doing like military before we narrowed it down, I had like some dope-ass names like um, Operation Overlord, Favorites. which was D-Day. Oh, yes. Fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was... Um, Operation Wrath of God. Which oh, was I love a, that. It was a, a, I think it was a Palestinian uh, operation. It, I, we'll go into it maybe one day. But for some reason, military men really need their things to sound cool. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure military operations are what like brands like Axe and Old Spice are inspired to name their products after. Absolutely. Which really means that, like, men just like when shit sounds cooler. <laughs> yes. It gives them an excuse. Yeah. Yes. So, anyway, Operation Big Buzz. <sighs> I don't like this one. This was the test of mosquitoes in Georgia in May of 1955. This operation was a field test designed to determine the 
a feasibility of producing, storing, loading into munitions, and firing from aircrafts, mosquitoes from said airplanes. This is like the fleas, but worse. The point of this test was to possibly use yellow fever mosquitoes against the Soviets. The test mosquitoes, again, were not infected. They literally just dropped bugs. Um... They were believed to have dropped around 330,000 mosquitoes from an E-14 cluster bomb. Um, this was considered a success, and mosquitoes were found up to 2,000 feet away from the release site. A secondary test, Operation Dropkick, between April and November 1956. Again, this time is more mosquitoes, and it's in Georgia and Florida. These tests proved that mosquitoes could be spread by things other than just bombs. I couldn't find out what they meant by that because this is only partially declassified. Um, I also couldn't find out the number of people bit. It just said, and I quote, many. <laughs> so just a few. Just, just, just many. Just a bunch. Um, a similar operation was done around the same time specifically in savannah georgia with more mosquitoes so basically georgia can explicitly and actually blame their mosquito problem on the federal government that's awful mm-hmm. i would be so mad do you get reparations for that no i think you just get angry no <laughs> damn it mm-hmm. <laughs> um i'm bringing up another u.s operation again because i like the name it's called operation magic sword <laughs> yeah just take a second what <laughs> magic sword wait were swords involved no it's still bugs damn it <laughs> still entomological warfare guys um like at least like the big itch or the big buzz like makes sense dropkick those things make sense dropkick does not they're all in the same line of things mm-hmm. operation magic sword not at all um this was a 1956 military operation and i hate this even more than the previous mosquito ones because this was designed to test the effectiveness of seaborne release the seaborne release of insect vectors so mosquitoes from the sea like that's that's what this test was it was releasing mosquitoes from the ocean to see if they could travel to shore and sting you don't like that no don't like that. Mm-hmm. And it's also a six. Did it work? Yes. They proved that mosquitoes Fuck. could and would, with the help of sea breeze, travel up to three and a half miles to shore. I hate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think. See, this is why we have a fucking mosquito problem. Because you just kept fucking releasing them. <laughs> yes. Stop it. Yes. And mosquitoes travel far. Um, so it's awful. It's disgusting. And I'm pretty sure the three mile mark is just outside of what is legally considered people's borders um i learned a lot about what is like sea law and like sea territory in college that was a weird class don't ask um but yes so operation magic storm bugs from sea and again this was literally for the sake of infecting yellow fever mosquitoes to the soviets please note again that all of these are only partially declassified, which is why I can't say too much about them. There just isn't a lot of information out there. But you want to know the fucked up part? There's a fucked up part? That wasn't the fucked no. up part. P- no. Part of the declassified information includes a cost per death calculation, which is awful and morbid. So, of course, I'm sharing it. So. According to the report, a vector-borne biological agent achieving a 50% mortality rate in an attack 
only in a city attack. It has to be a city cost only 29 cents in 1976 dollars. So adjusting for inflation, a bug with a 50 percent chance of killing somebody cost the U.S. government a dollar 30 per death. These attacks, these attacks were expected to have resulted in 625,000 deaths. Your life to the federal government is worth $1.32 as far as entomological warfare is concerned. Not my life, my enemy's life. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they're no, testing not me, it. but that. <laughs> Fair, but consider that they were testing this in Georgia. That's true, but they weren't trying to kill you. They're just trying to get you itchy. But no, I understand. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, sorry. I should I should amend. The Soviets' life was worth a dollar thirty-two to the U.S. government, <laughs> which tracks. <laughs> that does make sense for who we are as people. Anyway, yes, it, yes, it does. But again, I also just love the fact that that information is declassified. How many people bugs bit? Like all of that. Like specific more details not declassified but i know how much a soviet's death was worth in 1976 specifically via bug <laughs> specifically via bug with a 50 percent chance of success yeah well I, it's it's interesting i know it's a weird metric to have but it absolutely makes sense yes it makes perfect sense but like i just i didn't know what to do with that information so i had to share it with the masses you being the masses i'm very glad i I now know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why you need to know this, but you get to know it. Also, not, and this has not ended. Um, the United States Kan er, Kandana Air Force Base, located in Japan, there is an entomolo entomological branch of the U.S. Army Preserve Medicine Activity. It, it, that's a lot of words, but basically, we have a U.S. military like airbase that has a bug branch um, that is part of the preventative medicine branch. We have a bug branch. <laughs> we have a bug <laughs> branch, and they are believed to grow and I quote, medically important anthropods. And I just hate the term medically important anthropods, so that's why I'm quoting it. Um, and this includes many <laughs> strains of mosquitoes for the study of disease vector efficiency. So basically, we're just really on that mosquito hype. We just really think that is the way to go. They're just very prolific. Like they once they go, they just continue to go they just, and they breed like fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. And so that's still happening. I have goosebumps because of you. Good. I hate this. Be uncomfortable. I hate this. And there's another paragraph I have about how the U.S. is still technically using entomological warfare. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. is so, this, no. So this is circling back to path two, and it's a threat to agriculture again. So another fact is that the U.S. has applied entomological warfare research and tactics to non-combat situations. Specifically, the U.S. has funded research to breed and drop caterpillars into Peruvian or Peru's coca fields as part of the U.S.'s war on drugs. Coca fields is cocaine. So it was literally dropping caterpillars as pests to destroy these fields. Fascinating. The U.S. then also used entomological warfare in 1990, and as that was in 1990, and it's used it as recently as 2002 when they used insects as vectors for a virus to damage opium poppies. Okay. So that's really, really recent. And again, this weapon was banned and ratified by the U.S. in 1972. But being the U.S., we take advantage of the fact that the Biological Weapons and Toxins Convention does not specifically mention insects in its text. It 
does cover vectors. So the use of a bug as a vector for disease is illegal, but dropping just uninfected caterpillars is not. Just a fucking bug. (laughs) (laughs) Just yeeting bugs at the enemies, dropping bugs into fields to destroy people. Literally going back to like old times, like medieval throwing wasps. Yeah. (laughs) Back to antiquity, we are yeeting bugs at things we don't like, which this time it's drugs. (laughs) It's so funny. I bet there is some fucking historian at that war table that's like, but but wait. (laughs) But wait, consider there's this specific type of caterpillar that likes cocaine. There is. And also, guess what? We have historical references of that shit working. (laughs) Someone's really glad their medieval history degree came in handy just once. Oh, for for real. Like, Art history, never call yourself invaluable. No. mm -mm. And so (laughs) anyway, basically, it's not clear if this is considered illegal. So, of course, until it's considered illegal, the U.S. is going to be doing this. Yeah, then it's fucking fine. What? If it's not illegal, then we're just going to do it. (laughs) It's the war on drugs. Um, But yeah, so bugs as weapons. I just want everybody to consider this specific hell that I was introduced to and made sad about and just remember that bugs from seas and that Georgia should look into reparations from the federal government for their mosquito problems. And also a Soviet... Oh, they absolutely fucking should. Excuse me? What? (laughs) Just thousands. I couldn't even find the number of bombs dropped, but one bomb was 300,000 plus mosquitoes. That is my worst fear. Also, the sound they make. I know. Again, that poor pilot, bombardier, and observer. 200,000 fleas. That's actually hilarious, though, (laughs) because every time you say that, all I can think of... Have you seen that ball of ants? Yeah. Oh, yes. You, like, push it. That's all I can think of, just (laughs) everywhere. And I hate Mm -hmm. it. I hate Mm -hmm. it so much. Yeah, anyway, so in case you guys didn't get the memo, I don't like bugs. So neither do I. I have a fear of bugs. I I don't. I, I've pretty much gotten over it. But <laughs> I like some bugs. All of the bugs mentioned in this story, besides debatably caterpillars, are not bugs that I like. That's true. I imagine they're cute caterpillars. <laughs> All caterpillars from a distance are cute. When you get up close to their face, just like butterflies, they become noticeably ter- more terrifying. That's true. That is actually mm-hmm. true. <laughs> also, I this entire story reminded me of a really famous quote which was that the average animal on planet Earth is actually a beetle. So there are more types and subspecies and species of beetles in the world than like pretty much anything else. So if you were like to average species, the average species is a beetle. I don't like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. There's like a more dramatic quote where it's like, if you think God loves humans, you should. if you were to actually take a look at the world, you'd realize God probably just really likes bugs. that's true mm -hmm, and yeah so that is my story for the week guys entomological warfare as a form of biological warfare how it has been used historically the fact that soviet's deaths are worth a dollar 30 to the u.s government and all of all of it yeah that's that's what i got it's a bunch of fun micro stories that was exciting (laughs) thanks i figured i'd try a different structure than one hyper-focused Yes, that's true. Again, second episode, so different structure means nothing. <laughs> None. So, Jada, what is your topic? Uh, so, my topic is kind of in this. He kind of touched on it. So, seven three one, the Japanese faction. 
Um, but mine is actually factions of Nazi Germany weaponized venereal disease to inca- incapacitate the Allies, especially the U.S. during World War II. Ah, okay. Tell me more. I want to hear all about it. Okay. Uh, Venereal disease is a disease that is contracted and transmitted by sexual contact caused by a microorganism that survives on the skin or mucous membranes or that are transmitted via semen, vaginal secretions, or blood during intercourse. Real icky shit. That somehow made that entire disease just more disgusting. It's really gross. Well, venereal disease is a collection of diseases. So diseases... Uh, Yes, I understand that. I hate it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, diseases such as AIDS, chlamydia, genital warts, gonorrhea, syphilis, yeast infections, and hepatitis are in that category. It was gross shit. It was really gross shit. Okay, tell me all about it. So, quick synopsis of symptoms that you can get if you have VD. Uh, you can get growths or bumps around the genital region. Herpes. Severe itching. Pimple-like rashes. Tiny bliss. This is the worst kind of ASMR, by the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the opposite of whatever ASMR is. <laughs> Tiny blisters and scaly skin. Burning during urination. Uncomfortable genital <laughs> swelling. Pelvic pain. Fever. Fatigue. Organ damage. Or hair loss. <laughs> I don't know if I'm laughing or crying, but I hate it. Venereal disease, it's gross. S- don't get STDs. <laughs> I, I see why you blocked the photos for your topic. Oh, yeah. No, I spent 90% of me doing this with my hand in front of the screen. Um, Disgusting. Wrap your willy. Wrap your willy. Wrap it before don't you Don't be silly. Wrap your willy. Yeah, don't be dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> some background on World War II and just the general history of this story. So, in 1925, the ratification of the Geneva Protocol for the Prohibition of the Use in War of Asphyxiation, Poisonous, or Other Gases and Bacteriological Methods of Warfare prohibited the use of biological weapons, but not their research and production. This ratification came following This ratification came following the effects of Germany and France biological weapons used to infect animal feed in World War 1. In 1932, Japanese Surgeon General Shiro Ishii was placed in command of the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory. Ishii was a strong proponent for Japan starting their own biological weapons research, as Western powers were. General Ishii was the commander and unit chief of Unit 731. Correct. Okay. Not yet in the story, but yes, correct. Uh, Yes, cool. Hitler's rise to power began shortly after World War I in the midst of Germany's economic and political instability. In 1934, he anointed himself Führer, supreme leader, in name of supporting the growth of the pure German race, or Aryan race. Yikes. Shortly after anointing himself, he began to rearm German troops in violation of the Versailles Treaty and build plans to sign alliances with Italy and Japan. In 1936, under Emperor Hirohito, the Epidemic Prevention Department was expanded into the Ishii Unit and the Wakamatsu Unit to form the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of the Kutang Army, or Unit 731 for short. So just some background on Unit 731, as Curdy touched on. Unit 731 was a covert biological and chemical warfare 
and development unit on the Imperial Japanese Army during World War II, led by Surgeon General Shiro Ishii. Unit 731 is known for being a source of some really heinous war crimes between 1935 and 1945, including human exper experimentation, vivisection, and biological warfare against the Chinese. Um, just to define what vivisection is, because I didn't know when I was looking it up, vivisection is literally like autopsies on live human beings. So it's dissections without anesthesia while they're awake. It's really, really awful. Yeah, they actually, yeah, touching back on my story, they did that a lot with the spread of plagues and diseases to see how it affected organs at different stages in the diseases. Continue. Yeah, they'd also do it on um, pregnant women to see how the fetus would grow. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to go and into these were forced pregnancies most of the time. Yeah, it was rough. I'm not going to go into all of it because it's it's really atrocious and like it deserves its own spotlight because of what it was and how kind of icky and violent it was. But the point of bringing it up is that they specifically tested venereal diseases, including the spread, the onset, and the lasting effects. In late 1938, Nazi scientists invented Sarin. Sarin? Sarin. A deadly... <laughs> I have, like, all my pronunciations in parentheses because I can't. I can't. <laughs> just period. Read. I love that. I respect that. I just went for it. And we heard me try to pronounce a Russian word. Oof, there's just so one. many German words in this. It's going to be a rough one okay <laughs> hitler was mm -hmm. pressured to yeah. use this nerve agent against his adversaries but he declined hitler was known to be fearful of chemical warfare as he himself had fought in world war one in 1918 hitler and several other comrades were partially blinded by a mustard gas attack leading to his distress of chemical weapons and war um, strategically hitler was also concerned that the use of gas would incite extreme retaliation period <laughs> Winston Churchill okay, we'll, was we'll a, take. yeah sorry I just like I ended my my sentence in a question mark which is it sounded weird Winston Churchill was a known supporter of biological warfare quote I cannot understand the squeamishness about the use of gas it is not necessary to use only the most deadly gases gases can be used which cause great inconvenience and would spread a lively terror and yet would leave no serious permanent effect on most of those affected Gas is a more merciful weapon than high explosive shell and compels an enemy to accept a decision with less life, less loss of life than any other agency of war. So Hitler strategically <laughs> was concerned that were he to employ this, that Churchill would hit back harder. So following this, okay. Nazi Germany sent troops to occupy Austria and Czechoslovakia in 1938, and World War II really kicks off with the Polish invasion in 1939. France and Britain declare wa war on Germany two days later. Okay. Given his distrust of chemical warfare, Hitler focused military strategy on Blitzkrieg, meaning lightning war. This military strategy paired the element of surprise with speed of attack and general enemy unreadiness. Information about venereal disease was shared with the German Abwehr, an Italian Servizio Inform Informazioni Militare, which were the German and Italian intelligence agencies via the Triparty Tiet Act, Pact, not Act, Pact, in 1940. Do you understand what's happening there? 
So um, Italians and Germans pairing up for venereal diseases. No. In, so information from Unit 731 about venereal disease was shared with German and Italian okay. intelligence agencies via the Tripart Act Pact Wait, in worse? 1940, which was the that makes that much was more like sense. Axis power pact, essentially. Okay, uh, that not, makes a lot more sense because I only heard about half of that. So oh. yes, the second <laughs> explanation made a lot more sense. I'm super glad. <laughs> So in 1941, Pearl Harbor is attacked by the Japanese, and a day later, U.S. declares war on Japan. 1941, everybody's pulled into the war. We all got things to say. So the Nazi Nazi treatment of VD, just some background on how Germany managed their VD issue. Uh, the Nazi regime believed that sex played an important role in military strength and labor productivity. Sex was a means to an end, and a regular sexual outlet would allow men to work harder and produce more. Hmm. With this in mind, a Third Reich public health office instated brothels as a means to provide regular sex to military men and forced laborers. Officially, these wow, brothels... Wow, I love that modern war has not changed. People like sex? Yeah. that been that way for years. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to brothels. Well, yeah. it, it brothels was also... used to follow armies and now Nazi Germany established brothels. Exactly. Uh, so the Third Reich Public Health Office instated brothels as a mean to provide regular sex. And additionally, or more correctly, officially, these brothels were also meant as a means to control the spread of venereal diseases. Huh. Through a series of amendments, the 1927 Law for Combating Venereal Disease, German authorities had extreme discretionary control over prostitutes in the name of community purity. So these brothels were instated, but they were controlled by the police, essentially. Okay. A special public health division was implemented to manage VD based on information shared by the Japanese Unit 731 findings in 1940. This new public office leading the VD efforts was led by Dr. Frederick Voss, a dermatologist from the University of Cologne. Uh, Dermatology was just what took care of VD back then. Voss believed that Vienna, a major, major city in Germany, was at risk of losing the fight against venereal disease based on the outdated approach. Voss recommended systematic registration of the infected, forced examinations for suspects, and tracking sources of infection. While Voss's recommendation was gender neutral, Nazi authorities used these opportunities to center in on women, specifically lower class women who did not conform to traditional sexual norms. So people who are sexually engaged, prostitutes, uh, people who had sex outside of marriage, etc. Under Voss's leadership, the public health office instated four special examination centers where female prostitutes had to report for periodical medical examination. I don't know if that sounds like a good thing or a very, very bad thing. It's not. It's generally not a good thing. Cool, because it's like <laughs> it's literally it's literally forced public examinations. Like, it's oh, not great. They would don't like that because like the idea of like sit. okay, cool, we're providing checkups to make sure that you aren't sick, but mm-hmm. it's Nazi Germany, so like, yikes, shouldn't be. Mm. It was branded that way. It absolutely was that it was like this is a way to keep you safe, or this is a way to keep our communities pure. Mm-hmm. But it kind of devolved. So I'll get into that now. Um, so. In 1941, 
600 women had regularly been processed at these facilities. In 1942, with the help of police involvement, 2,269 women were forced to undergo these examinations. So went from 600 to more than double. Yeah. Uh, 673. I see why that is bad. Mm -hmm. People were essentially getting forced to undergo these examinations. And 600, I'm sorry, 673 of these women, which is a little bit over 25% of the total who were um, tested at this time, were considered morally endangered. And morally (laughs) endangered basically meant adolescents between 12 and 18 who had been arrested and forced in. So they were rounded up by German authority and forced into these examinations. Um, Victims of rape and sexual assault were also forced to take these examinations. And women who had sex outside of marriages were reported to the police for medical supervision. So being diagnosed with... Uh, (laughs) It's going to get real bad for women really soon, FYI. It gets rough. This was definitely a hard story to write. It's always bad for women. It's always bad for women. Continue. So... Being diagnosed with VD was almost the equivalent of being arrested at this time, and it would essentially bar you from marriage. Oh, and you're screwed if you couldn't get married at that time. Yeah, you. it wasn't arranged as much as approved. Like, you had to get a certain approval from the government to say, yes, you two can be a couple. Yes, I do remember that. Mm-hmm. So during this period, Vienna held 900 women under constant medical supervision, like literally camps, like they held them in detention centers. And then Berlin held 6,000. So this is a two-year period. So by 1943, 16,640 people had been examined at one of these four centers. The public health office understood the war also meant additional cases of VD. So in response to this, the public health office made medical examinations compulsory and required soldiers to report who their sexual partners were. In addition, the military initiated brothels specifically for soldiers to limit contact between military and women from occupied spaces. Hmm. Okay. By 1943... The Third Reich had opened 63 private brothels with 50 more under construction, operated by the criminal police and loosely organized by the public health office. Included in these brothels were civilian-only and prisoner-forced labor-only situations. This is to say that the Nazi regime was aware of how quickly VD could spread and the danger of VD in general, and the Third Reich was able to mount information on VD between 1940 and 1945. Okay. Cool. Do you want me to summarize that section mm-hmm. before I move on to the next one? Yes. One more time, please. <laughs> okay. Because I get that it's I get that Nazi Germany realized how dangerous it was and that they established their own brothels, but there sounded like an extra scary sentence that I didn't quite process. Well, okay. So the scary part was that they were ri- they were rounding up women who didn't meet like their purity standards, mm-hmm. and they were forcing them through these examinations. And were they to fail for whatever reason, they would be held in camps, detention camps. They called them rapid treatment okay. centers, but they were literally just camps where they were forced under medical supervision. Um, they were treated a little bit better than forced laborers, but it was a camp in Nazi Germany. That was the sentence I was missing. Couldn't okay. be that great. 
Yeah. No. And then also, I didn't really touch on it, but these okay. brothels weren't super voluntary. Um, it was, it was rape. That's okay. That's I got that energy when you were talking about it. So that it was rape on a grand scale. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what that that's what I thought the scary sentence was. But I was like, mm, let's make sure. Let let's double check that sound. Yeah. So I did it. I didn't go into it. I didn't go into the history of the brothels, at, at least the brothels in Germany, because those were pretty like they're pretty much torture centers, and that wasn't really the point. I'm glad you didn't. Mm-hmm. It it got hard. No. Like I was going into 731 and I was like, I'm going to pull out of this. Yeah. So guys, this topic this week is just heavier. We picked a it's, much darker thing. What's up, y'all? So much heavier. <laughs> Next week will be a little bit more fun. I promise. The USA reports that 80% of single men and 50% of married men in the United States Army would have sex during their tour in Europe during World War II. Knowing the effects of VD and its debilitating nature, yeah, it's a lot of people, Nazi soldiers would place known VD contractors from the police-sanctioned German brothels and place them in brothels that were highly frequented by Allied forces. So Germans were attracted to this strategy because soldiers that contracted VD would either be sent back home or put on bed rest for the duration of the infection, lowering the the days in battle per soldier. VD could take between five days to six months to manage, depending on which disease and when it was diagnosed. So essentially, if you contracted mm. VD, you you would it would get to the point because they didn't have any cure. So they would they would that was it incapacitate you like you couldn't go into battle because you had this disease that mm-hmm. didn't have a cure, essentially. Okay, heavy breathing, just heavy. Hmm. That's rough. Nazi Germany was inspired by Comfort Women, a campaign driven by the Japanese army that lured women into being sex slaves using promises of jobs, higher education, or freedom from occupied states. German officials would lure VD-positive women into these brothels by promising freedom or better treatment than forced labor camps. Eventually, well-behaved women were sent to work into American-frequented brothels after being indoctrinated by German agents. Nazi factions would specifically target the morally endangered women, uh, young women who were arrested between 12 and 18, because they were easier to indoctrinate following the same programs as Hitler Youth. So pedophilia on top of just everything else. Not, not, pedop- not pedophilia. I'm going to go into it. It's not pedophilia. Yet. Okay. (laughs) Yet. So it will happen. Just not this moment. (laughs) No, 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 no. It it could... I didn't go into it. I didn't see anything about it. Um, So essentially, let me... Okay, just just tell me the story. (laughs) These women formed... So these people between 12 to 18, um, and just the women that they rounded up, these women formed a group within the Bund de Chir Maidel. Okay. De Chir... It's a word. Diosher. Bun Diosher Maydell. However you say it. BDM. We're going to call it BDM. <laughs> Which accepted women between 14 to 21 who were unswed and without children. There were two sections of this group. The BDM proper and the Faith and Beauty Society. While the BDM proper group was being groomed for marriage and proper jobs, the Faith and Beauty Society was explicitly for grooming, grooming the targeted women from VD centers in Vienna and Berlin. 
indoctrination programs included gymnastics, rhythmic dancing, cooking, sewing, Nazi, Nazi propaganda education in the form of art and political classes, community evenings together, personal hygiene education, and troop support. So women were often brought to hospitals or forced to make care packages supporting injured soldiers. And these women were forced to wear a lozenge-shaped insignia in red and white with a black swastika in the center on their uniforms. So they would take What's these women and they would... Losta? They would Lostica? Lozenge. Lo- like oval. It means oval. Yeah. I took it directly from the center. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I didn't make that description. That's fine. I, I Continue. Promise. And, and those are the women that had venereal diseases? Yes. Or these ones... The ones that were not and were being trained. These are the people who had, it was all of them, right? So all of BDM had these things. Okay. But then there was a specific faction within BDM. That was the Beauty and Faith Society, or sorry, Faith and Beauty Society that had VD. Okay. And that makes sense. Continue. So they they were specifically grooming them so they could go into these American frequented brothels without like being detected, essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, this happened in various places. The main hotspots for this were Normandy, France, and Casablanca, Morocco. These were key military holdings and often where Allied troops would enter in preparation for battle with Germany. Bubisar, a red light district walled off from Casablanca, was frequented by Americans to the point of being named as the start of the U.S. Army VD epidemic. Oh. After the liberation of Normandy, France, which was D-Day, Uh, There are reports of American men having sex with French women in sometimes public places, causing the cases of VD to spike. By 1944, the American Air Force reported that VD contractions were at an all-time high of affecting 120 men for every thousand. So for context... Oh, that's that's very, very high. Not not quite. (laughs) I, I had a hard time trying to rationalize what that number meant. But um, for context now, which is like 2019, so the last time the CDC took this type of report, it's like every 500 people per thousand. So. But didn't the CDC at this point classify a cold sore as a venereal disease? I, so the other, other thing is that the, they didn't know, like they weren't aware of all of the things that could be considered VD to the point where we know now. Um, in addition, okay, that's we've fair. been seeing like five year highs. So pretty much year over year for the past five years, we've been beating the record the year before. And then in addition to that, um, the population has quadrupled. So it was about two million people, two okay. billion people. I don't know. Shit. Less people <laughs> in 1940s as compared to now. Two billion. And now it's like eight billion. Still, it's not exactly. Yeah, it, it, don't don't call me out on that. <laughs> nope, I'm not going to. It's still a lot of people to be infected from these locations, just in active service, not the CDC. As like all average Americans, yeah. this is just men in service. Exactly. And also for context, those rates. Also, fun fact: my grandfather was there on D Day. Oh, that is that is a fun fact. That's a sad fact as well. Yeah. Okay. It's the sad fact was the only reason he survived. This is something completely not relevant to the podcast, but the only reason he survived is because he was the first man to volunteer to get on the ship they were loading to go to D-Day 
everybody else wasn't willing to get on the ship first. And because he volunteered first, he got loaded in the back. Mm-hmm. So when his ship landed, all of his... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not not a super fun fact, but my grandfather survived in Storm D-Day and was there. That's... I could not imagine what that's like. No. To live with that type of a memory. Uh, no. Uh-uh. And he was a army... He was an ambulance driver in World War II. And he played it off that the ambulance was the only emergency vehicle with an AC. He was he means it, he was an active medic during World War II. And yes, that is all I know of that story. He did not talk further. Yeah, I wouldn't want to talk about it either. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. So in addition to context to that number, um, those rates did change based on what department you were in and geographical location. So that number, 120 per thousand, doesn't necessarily mean it was that everywhere. That's just a statistic that I found. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And another fun note is that prior to 1944, soldiers would actually have docked pay if they contracted VD. So a lot of people didn't want to report it <laughs> because they didn't want to make less money. Mm-hmm. God, that's It just... was meant to be a deterrent. It did not no. play to... It, there's a reason they repealed it. <laughs> I'll say <Yeah>. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Additional spread of VD through these brothels has taken a hold of the American army via Operation Dragoon, a military evasion of Nazi-occupied Nazi southern France. At this point in time, August 1944, one in ten men on this operation had contracted VD in some capacity. So, one, one in ten. <laughs> one in ten. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ah, papa, what am I reading? Okay. The spread of VD was so prolific among the Allied forces that the American military was forced to act. Military officers were instructed to close access to brothels and instruct soldiers to not sleep with prostitutes. <laughs> Imagine getting that from your commanding officer. Yeah. They just were like, no. By the way, guys, stop fucking prostitutes. Like, and we have to a be formal fair, announcement. It's happened several times. Like, People keep having to say, don't sleep oh, of with course prostitutes. it happens several times. <laughs> Men are dumb. It's fine. <laughs> God. Okay. Military videos regarding sexual health became compulsory viewing. So there's a famous one called um, Sexual Health. That one's really famous. It was converted into a pamphlet as well. But there's, there's like a ton of videos like this. Um. And they were made by Hollywood, which is interesting. So it was like a big production for the military. Um, Military officials were also ordered to instate prophylactic stations to provide treatment and services to affected men. These stations often sold pamphlets and individual prophylactic packets designed for treatments. So I did not define prophylactic, but essentially meaning sexual. So they would give them condoms or okay. they had like an ointment that was supposed to fix things, which, you know, we know now didn't do shit, but it was provided. Basically, it was wrap your willy, don't be <laughs> it, silly. It was literally packs. like, yeah, here, please use a condom. Like, here, please use a condom packs. Um, so that order came from general order number 77. And here's a quote. All commanding officers are directed to give personal attention to matters pertaining to the prevention of venereal disease. Um, 
This was also the rise of anti-VD propaganda that discouraged soldiers from sleeping with prostitutes or easy women. So there was a there was a ton of anti-woman rhetoric at this time. And uh, of course, one of always the, blame the women, not the men. That's literally what it was. <laughs> it's like every paper that I wrote was like, and they blamed women like <laughs> across the board. Everybody was like, it's a women's fault. Great. Um, so they had a lot of things like uh, <sighs> actually, you know, I'll just look up some right now and I'll read them off to you because they're actually fucking wild. OK, I'm excited. I'm, well, not excited, but I'm interested in hearing what the hell this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. She may be a bag of trouble, syphilis and gonorrhea. Loaded, don't take chances with pickups. VD is not victory. Oh, God. Loose women may be loaded with disease. Hmm. There's just one that says booby trap. <laughs> That's <laughs> awful, but, you know, effective. I love it. <laughs> That's probably one of my favorites. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's just a straight up lie, but four out of five pickups have VD. We love straight lies to scare people. Oh, yeah. The FBI was all about it. <laughs> Consistently. Is this the FBI or the CIA? Uh, no, like the FBI has like several recorded cases of just straight up lying to the public. Just just to <laughs> get what they Yes, want. <laughs> correct. She may look clean, but... That's it. <laughs> it's just an empty butt. Okay. That's it. Mm, it ends okay. of butt. That's it. <laughs> okay. There's also VD can be cured, but there's no medicine for regret. <laughs> I think that's a bigger lie, actually. Um. Okay. This one is the one that I mentioned reading right now. Oh, and I'll read that one too because it's interesting. I'll start with that one. Uh, Axis agents pick up streetwalker, prostitutes, and venereal diseases, a toast to Hitler and Hirohito. That was one of them. And the other one is, she's our sunshine, our only sunshine. She makes us happy through bombings blue, through Russia's rush us, or Yankees crush us. She'll give the VD to you and you. (laughs) Sung by um, Hitler and Mussolini. It's an actual military chant. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is this huge propaganda campaign to essentially get American soldiers to stop sleeping with prostitutes in these occupied states because they were known to be like, well, they weren't known. I don't want to blame women for this, but they, <laughs> it was... They were purposely infected and there was a high proportion of people with VD already in these locations. Exactly. It was incredibly prolific and it spread really fast. So uh, this practice persisted through World War II until the fall of the Axis powers in 1945. That's it. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So from 1940 to 1945... This happened, essentially. Well, okay, so from 1941 to 1945. is better. Well, that was a very fun and light topic. You can't see me, but I'm doing finger guns. For both of us, really. (laughs) Oh, always. It's always finger guns. Um, So let's try to lighten this up. And hey, Jada, what's your conspiracy based off or comment based off of mine? 
Mm-hmm. What's oof. your hot take? Oof, 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 oof. Um, I loved your story, um, first and foremost. And then oh, I think my takeaway... I was so excited about it. It was, it was such a great story. Um, several stories, in fact, because I really wanted to do... I saw them when I was doing my research, and I was like, fuck, what do I want to do? <laughs> um, right, there's just there so many are, options. so many. Okay. I think mine... I want to, like, tie in the reparations angle along with, like, just icky bugs. Mosquitoes. I think the rep- reparation angle is fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Georgia, for the, yeah, Georgia, for the first time in your life, you're not paying reparations. You deserve reparations yeah, for mosquitoes. Yeah, you deserve a few hugs for that, honestly. <laughs> and in an area like Georgia, where it's just a breeding ground. Where it's just, like, swamp. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's humid and it's hot and it's awful. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'll go with. I'm gonna go just flat out like the army owes reparations to southern states because of their mosquito epidemic that was started from their bombings. That's my fucking takeaway. <laughs> Not just Georgia okay, either. That's a much just more fun out. takeaway. All of it. All of it. <laughs> Hey, they did also drop exactly. bombs in Florida. Just everything, like America's left foot over there. <laughs> okay, I have a dumber Ooh, takeaway from hype. yours, and I'll do a second one because this one is truly stupid, but I'm still dwelling on I'm it. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> it's the fact that <laughs> I don't think lozenge is a real shape. I think that is a lie that they made up to simply have a word to describe an oval. Wait, you think Germans just don't know what ovals are? <laughs> <laughs> I think Nazi Germany, for the sake of bargaining <laughs> and branding, decided that lozenge sounded better than oval. Honestly, <laughs> you know, cosmonaut versus astronaut is a thing. <laughs> so I'm taking lozenge versus oval because it sounded better. Mm-hmm. And I bet you they used an oval in some other form of like patch branding or whatever, and they had to separate. <laughs> and lozenge sounds elegant and formal, that's and that's what they were going for. I mean, for. like, I saw the patch. It did not look like a lozenge. I can say that with full confidence. It did not look like a lozenge. <laughs> <laughs> so my hot take is Nazi Germany didn't know what an oval was. <laughs> that's my takeaway. All right. <laughs> we're just going to slot that one in. I'm t- that's... <laughs> that's a hot take from curry it's late enough in the evening that i think that's it's late enough in the evening that i think that's funny so i want to leave it there um the hotter actual takeaway is hitler managed catching the disease he was actively spreading and had a literal spreadsheet for like he had public records of people with venereal diseases and he still caught one he still fucked it up So that's my actual takeaway. Besides Nazi Germany not knowing what a lozenge is, like that's my actual genuine takeaway. But I don't know which one I preferred, so I'm doing both. That's fine. It's I understand. They're both good takes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. S- super fun. All right. Well, this has been fun, guys. Thank you for joining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought those were really fun episodes this week. Stay tuned. You'll find out what's true and what's false yeah. next week. Thanks. Bye.